You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. So Joshua chapter 1, and today our heading is New Start, Same God. New Start, Same God. Joshua chapter 1, the chapter that we are considering today, deals head on with that mindset of our fast-moving, ever-changing, disposable culture. For we live in an age of sell-by dates and best-befores. Never mind the fact, whether we like it or not, that our society has changed dramatically, socially, culturally, economically, in the space of these last 12 months. If ever there was a time to dip into these 24 chapters of Joshua and glean some wisdom for our lives, lived out in this fast-changing world, it's now in this bridge book of Joshua. That's why we've entitled this series, New Start, Same God. The theme of Joshua 1 verse 1 is change, the shifting of life. And that's where we begin. Verse 1, let's read it together. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Strange way to start a book, isn't it? The book of Joshua begins with an end. It focuses on a funeral. And in terms of leadership, it introduces us to a change of face. The book called Joshua starts with Moses. The Moses whose whole life dominates the first five books of the Bible. That great pillar of the Pentateuch, Moses. Moses' life is monumental. And the preceding chapter in the Bible, Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, agrees. Have a look, just one page back in your Bibles. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. Since then, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses. Everyone before and everyone after was compared to Moses. Moses, the prophet and leader that set the standards for every other prophet and leader. And boys and girls, some of you will remember the story of Moses, you know, the baby boy who was rescued by the Egyptian princess, saved as a Hebrew slave, but grew up in the palace of Pharaoh, saved out of slavery. Battling with Pharaoh as he grew up, contending for God's people, having been with God on the mountaintop, and even whenever the Israelites had sinned, he even offered his own life as a sacrifice for the lives of all his people. Moses, the leader. Moses, their leader. Moses has been the towering figure casting a huge shadow over the Exodus, but we read he's mortal. Moses dies before God's people enter the promised land. And that is why then we're reintroduced to Joshua. We read about him again in verse 1, very simply. He's described as the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Joshua emerges from Moses' shadow. Now, don't get me wrong. Joshua is not some random choice. There was no snap election amongst the Israelites that caused some sort of upset. And suddenly Joshua finds himself in the center stage thinking, well, who am I? What am I to do here? Joshua very clearly is God's choice. But I want you to think for with, with me for a moment about Joshua. Joshua is one of only two men who had been a slave in Egypt who made it to the promised land. Him and Caleb were the only two. The rest were wiped out. The rest didn't make it because of their 
unbelievable. We'll think about that in a few minutes' time. He was one of only two. But that means, and I want you to get your minds around this, around this Easter season, where was Joshua on the night of the Passover? We read that Joshua was a firstborn son. We read that Joshua might just even have been a teenage boy, a, a young boy, the night when the angel of death went over the whole land of Egypt. Joshua was there that night. Joshua, as a teenager, was wondering why his dad was painting the door frame of the house with the lamb's blood that night. He was wondering. But during that night, he could hear screams and cries as his wee Egyptian mates that he played with in the park dropped dead in their homes that night. But Joshua was safe. Joshua was safe because his father had obeyed what God had said and painted the blood on the doorframe of the house. Joshua was safe because of the blood of that innocent lamb. And he never forgot it. He never forgot the tears of his mum trickling down her face as she hugged him tight that next morning and said, you're safe. You're alive. God is faithful. Joshua, never forget, our God is good. You're the son that's been saved. And that's what his name means. Did you know that Joshua, Yeshua, means the Lord saves? It's a name by which Jesus was known as he grew up. Yeshua, Jesus, it's the same Hebrew word. The God he saves. Those months in that memory opened Joshua's eyes to the power of God, to the plagues that went on in Egypt during those weeks. And as they journeyed towards the promised land, Joshua, yes, was a soldier. He fought in the army, but that wasn't his primary call. He'd never been trained. He just stepped up when it was needed when they battled the Amalekites. And then along with Caleb, he went into the promised land on a mission to spy out what the land was like. But only he and Caleb came back and said, yes, it's going to be difficult, but we can do it. Whilst the other ten stood, they said, no way. It's good, but there's no way we're making it. Have you seen the size of the men in that land? They weren't blind to the giant obstacles they faced, but Joshua remembered the night at the Passover. He remembered the faithfulness of God. He said, we will be able to do it. Joshua stood in a minority that day, and he risked his life in doing so. Two against ten. The odds weren't great. They could have really said, oh, let's kill these men. Let's get rid of them. All their talk about we can do it. There's no way. He took a risk that day, standing up for God and his word. But as a result of the people's faithless failure to proceed, they wandered the desert for 38 years. Only Joshua and Caleb survived to see the promised land. Imagine the faith that he must have had during every day of those 38 years, knowing that he had seen it, he had been there, he had told them they could do it, but they hadn't believed him. He must have had great faith in this gracious God. 40 years he waited. Some of us can barely wait five minutes for something. 40 years he waited. 40 years of hurt, yet knowing of that same hope that he had tasted and seen. And then we see Joshua called as a successor. Moses called on God to give his people a new leader. God appointed Joshua. Read of his installation in Numbers chapter 27. God raised him up. 
hands were laid on him, the Spirit of God came upon Joshua. He was spirit-filled and humble. He was always the sidekick. He didn't mind being known as the assistant. Always second in command. He never sought the spotlight for himself. Rather, he served under the authority of Moses faithfully for year after year after year. And oh, how all of us need to hear that. Joshua did not demand his own rights. Well, it's only right I'd be appointed. I've been the assistant all these years. He did not ram his own opinions down others' throats. Rather humbly and meekly and serving and loving God's people, yet even though they thought differently from him, he continued to respond graciously to all of them. His God was great enough, grand enough to serve, worth every ounce of sweat and tears and obedience for 40 years nonstop, he could easily have written off the rest and says, well, I hope none of you make it. But faithfully servant as the assistant, not the main man, the assistant to the whole people who had been faithless for these years. That is why the Lord was able to direct them. Look at verse 1. Joshua, don't wait and weep for Moses. Bury your dead, but now follow on in faith. Death and disaster doesn't change any of that. Calendars, dates, Ages, leaders, expectations, schools, jobs, jobs, lockdowns, rules, responsibility, family life, all might fluctuate again in 2021 or beyond. But what enables us to, any of us to cope with change? We might never understand why, but God's people live on promises, not explanations. That is the most important thing you're going to hear from me today. God's people live on promises, not explanations, for we are a generation who are totally reliant on Google, not God. Oh, I wonder if I Google this, what will come up, and what will the top 10 hits, or if I disbelieve that, or what theory this says, or how many figures will come up today, or folks, we are obsessed with Google, and we've ditched God. And God help us. Folks, we are not meant to know everything. Everything is not meant to be explained. We are not meant to join the dots. Only God can join the dots of this world. We are to live on God's promises, not his explanations. Fresh starts, new phases. Folks, ditch Google and turn to God. Secondly, a promised place. Joshua chapter 1 verse 2 tells us, The Lord said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all his people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land that I am about to give to them. If Moses dominated Israel's leadership for 40 years, then this distant promise had lived with the people for 800 years. You thought 40 years was a long wait. 800 years they'd waited to get into this land. And the book of Joshua uses the word land 87 times. So it's kind of important in this book. We're not to miss the promise of the land. This was first promised to God's people back in Genesis 12, verse 1. God told Abraham, go from your country to the land I will show you. To the land I will show you. 800 years before Joshua even encamped beside the River Jordan, the promise of the ages now lay in front of them. It was just 
over there, 800 years of waiting, and it was there for the taking. Look at verse 2. The Lord speaks to Joshua. Go over this Jordan into the land I'm giving them to the people of Israel. Verse 3. Every place, every part of land that the sole of your foot will tread on, I will give to you. Verse 11, you're to pass over this Jordan and go and take possession of the land that the Lord has given you. Verse 13, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Verse 15, the possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. Do you get the idea? This land's important. With these words, they're left in little doubt that the land over there is theirs. Did you notice verses 2 and 3? This land is a gift from God to his people. They didn't earn it. It was a gift. A promise that had seemed doomed when they were slaves in Egypt. Surely God's forgotten us now, but he hadn't forgotten. Whenever they were doing loop-the-loops around the desert, oh, surely God's forgotten. He hadn't forgotten them. When they were distressed, when they felt defeated, when it felt like the promises were being broken and forgotten, neglected over time, God says, no, it's been yours. It's always been yours. But now is the time to take it. Just as Joshua was named the Lord saves, his namesake Jesus, the one who came to save his people from their sins, how did he come? Humbly, as a servant, he didn't seek the spotlight. He came not to be served, but to serve. He came not to a throne, but he goes to a cross for his people who had defied and disowned and doubted him. But his powerful sin-atoning victory against life's ultimate enemies of sin and death and Satan took place at the cross in order to pave the way for a new life. Like the people in Joshua's day, so now in the reign and rule of King Jesus. The gift is ours to receive, folks, in Union Road today. It is as certain as his death and resurrection and every promise that he has already made. But we don't have complete fulfillment of it yet. It's like we are in that part just about to cross the Jordan. Just as God's people waited those years to enter the promised land, so Christians today, we are saved, but we're also still to be saved. In the interim, the battle of sin will still rage around us. There'll be rebel thoughts in our hearts. There'll be that battle of the old self within. But whoever we are, whatever our struggle, past, present, and future, if Jesus is our Savior, we have an absolute cast iron guarantee of salvation. No one will pluck us from the Father's hand. We are citizens of heaven who just happen still to be living here on earth. We're going to be happier in heaven, but we're just as secure now. I want you to remember that. We'll be happier there, but we're just as secure now. To know that in Jesus Christ, we are safe and we will be saved, no matter what confronts us in life or what robs us in life. Let me urge you, if you're someone who has slipped away from dependence on this Jesus or has never depended on this Christ for his life, his death, and his resurrection, trusting in this Jesus means that nothing will ever be able to separate you from his eternal love. Whatever is broken in you, whatever is broken with you today, nothing shatters his covenant love. His love is death-defeating, hope-inspiring confidence and salvation. Like the land, it's a gift. But are you going to take it? Or are you going to stay this side of it? None of us deserve it. But he says, take it. 
enter into it, enter into the fullness of what it means to be saved and a heavenly citizen. And it all comes down to the promises of God again, doesn't it? He says, none of you deserve it, but I offer it. God's promises are prompts, not pillows. We're not to be fast asleep on the promises of God, but rather to prompt us to new life in this difficult world. God's promises move us on and shake us out of our complacency, which leads us finally today to an unstoppable and an unchanging grace. That's the third thing. An unstoppable and an unchanging grace. First thing we notice within this is God's presence. Look at verses 5 and 9 and 17. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Five simple words. I will be with you. Spoken once before, weren't they? Spoken once before to another excuse-making, ask-anyone-but-me sort of chap whose name just happened to be Moses. Back in Exodus chapter 3, when he was called to face Israel and Pharaoh, called out of the burning bush, the same God gives the same promise. I was with Moses. I will be with you. Moses had died, but the Lord had not changed. The God of Moses in the palace of Egypt, the God of Moses, he steps on the dry land of the Red Sea. The God of Moses, he gives him the law on Mount Sinai. The God of Moses who rules and reigns and yet is personally, powerfully, lovingly, longingly with his people wherever they may be. And it's because of that truth that we can repeat three times to Joshua, verses 6, 7, 9. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Verse 9, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, jolly good for Joshua, David. God was with him. It's okay for these Bible chaps to know God and realize he's with him. But what about me? I'm just plain Jane or ordinary Joe in the pew, just about to head back into work tomorrow morning. What's in this for me? Oh, come on, David. I've got A-levels to worry about or GCSEs. What about, what's in this for me? I'm in the middle of lambing around the farm or, or without work, and I have been for a number of months now. I'm feeling really discouraged. I'm fed up and frustrated. What's in this for me, David? What difference do the words spoken 3,000 years ago to a guy who was about to engage in a river crossing and battle with people that I can't even pronounce their names of? How does that got anything to do with me in the factory, the office, or my home or my classroom? How has that got anything to do with me? Well, isn't it interesting? This very same promise reappears in the New Testament church to the Hebrews of all people. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, let's look at it together. It's on the screen. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? No mistake in it. The same words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But look at the context of the verse. Are you discontent? Are you grumbling about God and his people and his province? Are you wanting more, whether it be more money, more acceptance, more of this, more of that? What is it? The minute you say that, 
you deny God's presence in your life. You deny Jesus' resurrection life. You're saying that he's still dead in the grave, that he couldn't possibly be with me because he doesn't know what I am facing at this time and the challenges I have in my life right now. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it's not Google we've got to worry about this time, but we're grumbling about. There's no mistake in it. The same idea, it's for you and for me. It reminds Christians that in the battles we face are not against Jericho or the people of Ai or the Amalekites, but our daily battle for contentment, our daily desire that we always want more, more, more. God really gets us in Union Road today, doesn't he? He really understands you. He really knows what's going on in your heart because we're always grumbling for more. Lack of contentment. But he says, don't you realize that I've never left you? There's nothing that you need that I haven't already provided for you. Friends, job security might leave you. Your lawnmower, your house, your phone, your Wi-Fi might break down or let you down. Your loved ones might leave you. Your colleagues might laugh at you. You might feel ostracized, sad, and lonely. But he won't. There's nothing more essential for the people of God to hear than those few words. I am with you. The Lord, all in capital letters, as we read it here in Joshua, it's the Hebrew translation for Yahweh, the I am, the always being, never giving up, never burning out, always contained, self-contained, endlessly powerful, life-givingly wonderful in every circumstance. I am all that you need me to be. Is he? I know some of us get led by the praise team here on a night when the congregation is full and we sing, Christ is enough for me. Everything I need. Then we go out and the first thing we complain about, it's a terrible night, isn't it? Well, you see, see what I've got to do this week at work. Is Christ enough for you? Joshua knew it. Joshua had seen it. Joshua experienced the salvation of the blood of the Lamb that kept him safe. And so are we if we're believers today. I better move on before some of us test that sleep pattern again. Finally, God's word, verses 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you might be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. It's one thing to say to someone, be strong. It's something else to be able to actually do it. Because Joshua wasn't a soldier. He fought when required, but he was a spiritual leader first and foremost. Now he was about to lead his people into conquest. So how should he be prepared? The Lord equips him not with a book on military maneuvers, he doesn't hand Joshua the top 10 tips for facing the enemy. He doesn't hand him the book of Napoleon's greatest hits. No, he was not lectured on pincer movements. No, look at verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you might be successful wherever you go. And the word successful there means act wisely wherever you go. To be successful in biblical terms is not some health and wealth gospel-like 
Live like this and God will give you everything you ever dreamed of. You know, if you live like this, you'll get the car of your dreams and your ingrown toenail will disappear. COVID-19 will never touch your house and you'll triumph over every battle. No, that's rubbish, folks. That is not in the Bible. Bible success is being wise from God's word. Godly wisdom gives us a true perspective on a mixed up world. It comes from the mouth of the maker. This book helps us live in the face of death and disappointment. It's God's unstoppable and unchanging grace that's gifted to us. And what are they to do with it? Verse 8, meditate on it, Joshua. Now, I usually don't do an awful lot of cooking in our house. But when I do, I love the slow cooker. Because you know what you do? You just chuck everything in and you hope for the best in about four hours' time. And you throw in the chicken, and you throw in the steaks, and you throw in the herbs, and throw in the spices, and you sprinkle a bit of this, and every so often you, you see if it tastes anything decent, and you go back, go back again, and you excuse and it marinates until there's something worth lifting out. It's not a fry that you just go, there you go, or a burger that you just ram down like that. No, it marinates, it stews. Read it, meditate, marinate in it. This word of God, if you marinate in this word, you will seep it out from every pore of your life and you will act wisely in every circumstance you face. Folks, marinate in this book and you will live well. And he wasn't just to marinate and meditate on it, verse 8. He was to be careful to do it. He wasn't just to hear it. He was to obey it. And some Christians tell us we make too much of the law, that we're in a new era now. We're free to do what we like. But God's law still gives us wisdom. God's law makes us wise. It saves and secures and satisfies us in the truth. And we see in the law a father who cares deeply for his children. When I say no or be careful to my family, it's not because I want to stop them having fun. It's because I love them and I don't want them to get hurt. And when we read God's law, it's because he loves you and he doesn't want you to get hurt. Friends, this book will change you and inspire you and challenge you and use you and shape you into the person that God wants you to be above exam results and sports achievements and music grades and promotions and engagements and weddings and parties and pregnancies and windfalls or winning, this book alone gives success. Because as we journey with Joshua over these next few weeks, there will always be a new conflict that he has to face. There will always be another hurdle for him to climb. There will always be a fresh decision for him to take. For the Christian life is a whole series of new beginnings. In fact, you will wake up tomorrow with a whole new set of beginnings again. But what do you do with them? Where do you turn with them? Moses is gone. There was a battle to face. There was a river to cross. Where was Joshua to turn? Yes, there was a change of face. Yes, it was a promised place. But day after day, week after month, hour after hour, we are to turn to that unchanging, unstoppable, unbelievable grace. And the rest of 2021, I guarantee there'll be elements of change for us all. Obstacles that might leave us feeling weak and worried and wounded or wondering. But let these things ring true. Let these things go deep into our hearts that the Lord's faithfulness does not hinge 
on your achievement or my achievement. However gifted or brilliant you might be, nor does it evaporate in the face of funerals or daunting challenges to cross. Entering into this new phase of life, we can do so with confidence that the Lord is with us. Tomorrow morning, there'll be another new start. A believing friend. You've got the same God.